Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Due to the unprecedented times we're living in, courtesy of COVID-19, we are recording our conversations remotely, so you'll likely notice a difference in audio quality. What remains the same, however, is getting to know yet another creative woman. You're about to meet actress Kate Cortellew, star of Ask for Jane. Actually, Kate is also the creator and producer of this award-winning independent movie based on the true story of an underground abortion network that began on the campus of the University of Chicago in the 1960s. I have the distinct honor of interviewing Rachel Carey, the director, and Heather Booth, the college student who started the Jane Collective. Kate made her television debut in Steven Soderbergh's Emmy Award-winning series, The Nick. She also plays Delilah in the CBS TV hit, Bull. Then there's theater. Kate originated a role in the off-Broadway hit, Sleep No More. And she also happens to be part of the leadership team of The Shelter, a long-running indie theater company in New York City. Kate, who grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, came east to go to college. She got her BA in theater from Barnard. She also spent a semester at the conservatory at the O'Neill National Theater Institute. So it's time to meet and get to know Kate Cortellew. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Let's go to Madison, Wisconsin. When you were growing up, Kate, did you want to act? Were you putting on plays in the barn in the backyard? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I definitely did the thing that I think a lot of small children do of putting on plays for their families and friends. But I took it to a more legit place when I was eight. Um, I joined a group called the Young Shakespeare Players in Madison. Uh, It's sort of like a day camp for kids whose parents are still working, which mine were. You joined a Shakespeare group when you were eight? I did. I did. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. So they did uh, full length Shakespeare plays. All the actors were ages eight to 16. You had to audition for the parts. So my first play was Hamlet and I played (laughs) Francisco and Reynaldo and the player queen. And I was thrilled because I got to wear a crown, which is all I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even grasp Shakespeare at my advanced age. (laughs) Imagine an eight year old. Oh my gosh. So that obviously had a real impact on you. It really did. Yeah. I think that's where I really developed my love of language, which is why I feel so strongly about working with new writers. The theater company where I know Rachel Carey, who you interviewed, it's predominantly for writers. And I am just bowled over by the talent in that group. And I feel so lucky to call these amazing writers my friends. Take us on your artistic journey. Sure. Well, I stayed with that group until I was 16. I did Hamlet with them. I did Macbeth, The Winter's Tale, The Tempest. And then when I finally left the group when I was 16, it was Hamlet again. So I I celebrated my 16th birthday by playing Hamlet, which was very special. (laughs) And I started doing community theater as well, acting in high school, and knew that's what I wanted to pursue. So when I was looking at colleges, I only looked in New York. Barnard is actually the only school I applied to. I felt very determined to go there. I I liked that it was in New York. I I liked the program and I am very lucky that I got in. (laughs) So that's when I came to New York. Were you all nervous about making the big transition to uh, such a large uh, metropolitan area? I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, which is the college town. So 
it actually didn't feel like such a big jump, weirdly, because Barnard, unlike NYU, which is a very sprawling campus, Barnard is very contained. Right, um, it's right. It's on the Upper West Side. It's It's got a proper campus and dorms. So it felt like a very easy transition, weirdly. And then when I graduated, I graduated a year early. So all my friends were still in school. So I lived with them for another year. Mm-hmm. And then I lived with my sister for a year. So it was sort of this gradual stepping out and expanding my comfort zone. And now I've been in New York for... It'll be 16 years this fall. Wow. I bet it went fast. <laughs> it did. <laughs> so what, tell us about after graduation in terms of getting parts and what is it that you wanted to do? Did you want to combine the writing with the acting? What, what did you have in mind for yourself? I actually thought I wanted to do musical theater for a while. Um, I, I also sang in choirs from middle school through the end of high school, both in school and regionally. And I loved musicals. I came to New York wanting to pursue that. And I got intimidated pretty quickly by the musical theater scene in New York and decided I would rather do just straight theater, which was my first love. And that's what I started putting all my efforts into. And I actually helped run a theater company briefly after college. And it was a beautiful little indie theater company, but it sort of fell apart because none of us wanted to do all the admin work behind the scenes that's required to make a company last long. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting more into film and TV, um, got representation. And it was, I feel like the biggest turning point was when I found The Shelter, which is the theater company I'm part of with my writer-director for Ask for Jane. And I'm on the leadership team now there. I've been part of the group for, I want to say five, five or six years. And that's really been my artistic home. That's been the biggest place where I've figured out my goals and how to achieve them. I'm curious as to how difficult it was to kind of get your footing here in a city like New York that can be both exciting and cruel. I think a lot of it is mindset and being open to opportunity because I feel like all the great things that have happened have been lucky breaks in a way. I've been working very diligently and it's the old adage, success is when preparation meets opportunity. Hmm. So I feel like I I found the shelter. I can trace all of it back. You know, I, I found the shelter because a woman that I shared a dressing room with at Sleep No More was a member and told me about it. And I was at Sleep No More because a woman in my old theater company, the one that fell apart a little bit, she was one of the original actors there. So she's the one who got me excited about it and wanted me to audition. And the reason I was part of that company in the first place was because I met a director and we really got along. And I met him because of a guy I was dating at the time. We were friends. It's really just being open to wherever opportunity comes from because you never know. That's right. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is sometimes you just have no control on a good level as well as on a bad level. Absolutely. And I I think I'm just naturally a very positive person, which I'm grateful for. Well, that's because you're from the Midwest. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. (laughs) There's no cynicism, right? Although you've been here for 16 years. I'm surprised you haven't adopted that. I know. I still feel like a little wide-eyed ingenue sometimes. (laughs) Well, actually, there's nothing wrong with that. Talk about the shelter. Does it foster new talent? Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. It's been around for 10 years, uh, I guess 11 now almost. 
I joined about five or six years ago. They have these weekly writing workshops on Sunday nights. They call them Shelter Sundays. So writers can bring in 10 pages of work and have it cold read by actors there in the room. So I've been participating as an actor for a long time. And I've started dipping my toe into writing a little bit as well, thanks to them. And it's just a really smart and generous group of people. It's, it's the most collaborative and helpful room that I've been in. I've been part of similar groups before, but nothing quite like this. And it's, it sort of engenders this, this spirit of, we're all, we're all best friends now and we work together all the time. And I feel like everything good creatively in my life right now is in some way related to shelter. Certainly my movie, Ask for Jane. Wow. That's, I mean, that something has that much of an impact and that much prominence in your life is terrific. It it doesn't really matter what it is, but I think artists have to find their people. You have to find the community where you respect people and admire them and they push you to work harder and you push them to work harder and you all grow together. I think that's crucial. So you said that Ask for Jane grew out of the shelter, correct? Correct. So take us on that journey. Well, I first learned about the Jane Collective, which is the real life group of women that the movie is based on when I was watching a documentary that uh, Nywift had hosted a screening of, the New York Women in Film and Television. So that's where I first learned about them and got the idea. And I did research that night and not to get too woo-woo, but it really, when I first heard about it in this movie, it felt like the universe was speaking inside of my head, telling me that I had to make a film about this. Mm -hmm. So I wrote out a little treatment that night, but again, I'm not so much of a writer. So I went to Rachel Carey because I admired her so much and I asked her if she would write the screenplay and I know her from the shelter. And she said, yes. And later we brought our co-producer on Josh Folan who I met through another shelter member because he had produced that movie. It was called Camp Wedding. So that was a shelter film. And then when we were filming, we filmed largely in these two houses of another shelter member. Wow. There were probably, I I took a a tally at one point. I think there were 20 different shelter artists involved in some way, either in front of or behind the camera, doing on-set photography, acting, one of them edited our trailer, Greg Emita. So it was really a labor of love for me and from a lot of members of the company. Give us the context in terms of the year. When did you start to actually get your feet wet with this project? When I first learned about the group, it was in May of 2016. And I took the story to Rachel pretty immediately. And we started working on it. We brought it to the New York Television Festival when we briefly thought about it as a pilot instead of a movie. And then we determined that independent film was probably the best way to go just in terms of time. There wasn't any reason for me to feel this urgency that I did, but I felt like the story had to be told right now. Mm. It was a different time politically. No one knew that abortion was going to be such a hot topic and, and so in peril. Right, right. But I just felt like it had to be done quickly. And I'm, I'm glad that I had that instinct. So we were fundraising actively by March of 2017, because March is Women's History Month, which felt That's very right. That's right. A fact not mm-hmm. lost on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we are in now, March. 
And then we were filming July and a week in August in 2017. Was it difficult to get funds to raise money? I think so. My co-producer Josh jokes that it's it was easier than it ever should have been. <laughs> I looked up about 2,000 different potential investors to just research them, see if they looked like someone who might have the funds and be interested. And I got very lucky. I, one of the women I reached out to was Caroline Hirsch. She's the owner of Caroline's on Broadway, the famous comedy club in New York. And she is a feminist and a passionate activist and a really inspirational woman. And I had a great meeting with her where we ended up just talking for an hour about feminism and women's rights and the time period because she lived through it and had strong feelings about it. And at the end of the meeting, she said that she wanted to come on as a producer. You know, usually you hear these stories about what a slog it is to get involved in your own project. And I'm not glossing over this, but it doesn't sound like you had to push a rock up a hill with Ask for Jane. Maybe not. I feel like things clicked into place more than they do for a lot of independent films. And certainly the whole process was much faster than most films. And I I credit some of that to just following that sort of woo-woo voice from the universe. It just really propelled me to, even when things felt hard, it felt like I was doing this for such a bigger purpose than myself. You know, it was so much bigger than me. So I had to do it. It was also almost a public service. Yeah, exactly. Did that surprise you that this was not that onerous? there was a level of hubris involved on my part. I've never produced a feature film before. I've produced some theater before and I produced a web series that won an award, but nothing of this scale. And maybe that was a good thing because I didn't know exactly how difficult what I was getting myself into would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a level for comparison, but I'm, I'm grateful that things worked out the way that they did. And I'm really, really proud of the product that we made. How did it come to pass that you also starred in the movie. Did you assume that you were going to do that as well and wear those three hats, creator, producer, actor? I did. I'm I'm an actor primarily. It's it's my passion. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So when I came to Rachel, I said, here's this incredible story. I'm wondering if you would be interested in writing the screenplay because I think you're a brilliant writer and um, write a good part for me because I'm going to star in it. (laughs) (laughs) and so this began in 2016 and from beginning to finished product how long did it take it's a hard question to answer just because film is so there's so many steps involved I mean we we started working on it in May 2016 filming in July I guess I can go to our premiere which was in October of 2018. Well, that doesn't seem so onerous. Were you doing other things at the same time? No, I really wasn't. I was completely focused on Ask for Jane, completely. And when we were filming for the full 24 days that we were shooting, I could think of absolutely nothing and do nothing except the film. I came home to sleep and that was about it. Has this film been shown in places other than theaters and festivals in terms of for educational purposes? 
Um, there have been a few educational film screenings. Um, we did one at NYU, which was really exciting because Rachel is an alum. So we had a nice screening there. So far, there haven't been as many educational screenings yet, and I'm excited to uh, start having more of those. But there have been a few universities. Now, tell me about some of your other passions, Kate. The fact that you, like I said, wear a lot of hats. You've been able to write and to produce and act. I, I really don't write very much at all. Few people have seen my writing. But in terms of producing, I think it complements very nicely because I sort of feel like as an actor, unless you began as a child or you have, <laughs> forgive me, but nepotism to cash in on, uh-huh. I think one of the only ways to have a sustainable career is to self-produce. I think it's the smartest thing you can possibly do as an actor. And for me, it was extremely empowering because I'm telling the story that I feel passionately about. I'm not telling something for somebody else. Uh And instead of waiting around for a job, hoping that somebody will give me an opportunity, instead I'm creating jobs. I'm creating opportunities for over a hundred people. And that feels really good too. Well, that is a big deal. So how do you marry all these different factions of your life? So you're busy going on auditions and you're trying to, you know, expand your oeuvre, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I am, uh, I am, as you said, going on auditions and I have a great agent, Marilyn, but I'm also working on producing another feature. So we were actually just about to launch our fundraising campaign right before this awful pandemic hit. So we're sort of on hiatus because this doesn't feel like an appropriate time to be asking for funds. But I'm very excited about the film. It's, it's a bunch of people from the shelter who wrote it, who are acting in it, who are directing it. And we plan to shoot it either the end of this year or the beginning of next year in California. Oh. Um, so that's, that's a fun project that I'm very excited to produce. I'm still figuring out how to, how to marry the producing and the acting because when you're actually on set, it's very difficult to wear both hats simultaneously. You really have to wear one, take it off and put on the other and take it off and switch back and forth. You know, I'm curious about that as a producer. Is that common to be on set a lot? I think it is common. I know that a lot of actors have been doing more producing. Um, Often it's executive producing, which is a little bit different and more oversight and less day-to-day running things. But a lot of the actors that I'm most inspired by are ones who are producing their own works. Two that come to mind are Margot Robbie, who produced I, Right. I mean, Nicole Kidman has her own production company, so does Reese Witherspoon. Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a beautiful job with Don John. So there's, there's tons of actors producing their own content, not just ones who are still up and coming, but ones who are established celebrities. What speaks to you? Can you talk about this new project without giving too much away? Yeah. I mean, what speaks to me is stories where there's a character who rises up against all odds and does what they believe to be the right thing to do, even at their own... Their own peril or their own risk. Exactly. Characters who are standing up for what they believe in, even when it's hard, even at their own sacrifice. And I think As for Jane is certainly thematically in line with that. So this this next film is a narrative. It's about four best friends who've been friends since, since they were children. And one of them accidentally kills her abusive husband. And so the rest of them help to hide the body. 
And it's sort of like a dark comedy feminist modern day Western. Huh. <laughs> Trying not to give too much away, but right, right, it's, it's great right. fun. It's a little bit like fried green tomatoes or a little bit like Thelma and Louise. It's a comedy, but it's definitely a dark one. And it really is, the focus is on female friendship. The, the impetus for the film was the question, who would you bury the body for? <laughs> and you are producing and starring in this? That's correct. Again, as I focus on the producing part of this, I mean, you're so upbeat. I would be hard pressed to get you to say something negative. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wonder if that in and of itself getting money and convincing people that the project is worth it. Where I'm not saying that acting is a walk in the park, but there's two very different approaches. I just finished reading this really interesting book by um, Olivia Fox Cabane called The Charisma Myth. And she talks about how there are four different types of charisma. There's visionary, focus, warmth, and authority. And naturally people are going to be drawn more to one, but you can learn how to use all of them have them in your toolbox for different occasions. And I realized the one that I think I align with just most naturally is visionary. Because when I feel strongly about something, I'm so passionate about it that I think that passion rubs off on other people. And that's how I get them to go along with these ideas. Because I mean, I believe Ask for Jane was, when I was working on that, it was the most important thing that there was. There wasn't any room for anything else. So I actually, I feel excited. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I feel excited about fundraising for this next one because I also think it's a great story. I'm so excited about it. And I'm excited about the technology we're going to use to fundraise. It's called WeFunder and it's like crowdfunding. It's like a crowdfunding platform, but instead of donations, it's equity investments. Huh. So you're building a whole network of people who have not just donated, they've invested in your movie. They own a little piece of the pie. They care about it in a more substantial way. And you can invest as low as $100 into it. I think it's an amazing idea. And very few films have used it. It's mostly for startups and inventions. So I'm, I'm really stoked to use the technology and to be one of the people on the front lines for the film industry in terms of that. I've said this a lot in my interviews, but because it's true that the women who I've had conversations with for this podcast have all developed a very strong sense of self. And I think that that's obviously the case for you as well. You have the sense of self, you know what it is you want to do, and you're going to go out and do it. And I'm not saying it's been a bed of roses for you, but that, that just has to play such a huge role. That's such a nice way of looking at it. Thanks, Andy. I think the sort of sunny optimism that I can't shake is prevalent in most things that I do. And have you had a lot of disappointments? Oh, yeah. I think it's impossible to be in this industry without having a lot of disappointments. And I feel lucky that I've been doing this for so long because I think a lot of the ones that really felt bitter and painful, I got out of the way. Because it is developing a thick skin to an extent. And I feel like I've had a long time to develop it. I remember when I didn't get a role in a high school play, I was devastated. I think I probably cried. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of just forget about the audition after I'm done with it. And I kind of hope a little bit, but I mostly forget about it. And then if I hear something good, great. And if I don't, I already forgot about it. So it doesn't matter. 
Well, that that's really impressive because I think that lots of times we can wear that stuff on our sleeve and it can stick to us. You know, it's tough, especially in this town. On the other hand, there are so many stories out there to tell too, you know, I mean, and, and you'd like to think that there's room for everybody. And I think that there is. I think the biggest thing is kind of having that positive attitude because if you go into an audition room and you're resentful or bitter or angry, they can, or desperate, they can smell that on you. It's, it's, I don't know how to describe it other than a smell, but it's, it's perceivable. You're not Mm -hmm. hiding it as well as you think you are. So Mm -hmm. you really need to start with that internal work. And I do, I do meditate very often. I care a lot about spiritual practices and, and reading and bettering myself in different ways. And I think that's an important part of it. So there's no bitterness. No, I don't think that there is. I really try to, to get rid of that, to meditate, to forgive. Forgiveness is usually for yourself, not for the other person. Yeah, I think it's important to, to be positive and to be kind and compassionate and empathetic. Whoa. I mean, I'm voting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. We've talked about the big screen, the small screen, but what about theater for you? I love acting on stage. It's so exciting. It's so immediate. I like having the audience right there with you and present. It's this shared experience that's ephemeral. It's not like film where you can watch it over and over and you can talk through it and then just run it back if you miss something. You have to be completely present in a theater, which is exciting to me. I also love film because I think it's exciting to try different takes until you get one that you really love and to try different things and then get in the editing room and see what happens. In film, you really just have to do your own thing and then trust the director and trust the editor because you've done your part. You can't do anything else now. So they're both thrilling to me in different ways. When we talk about theater, have you done regional theater? I have, yeah. Um, I've performed in Maine. Um, That's actually how I got my equity card. I played Juliet in Romeo and Juliet and I did the world premiere of a sequel to Romeo and Juliet called RMJ and Z, in which I played a zombie slayer. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I did a show in Wisconsin, and I did a show in Kentucky, uh, where I played a lawyer, which was great fun. But I really, my partner is in New York. Um, he's also an actor. So it's nice to stay close to home whenever possible. We both try to look at roles specifically in New York, but. If something really exciting happened regionally, we would probably look into it. And how great is it to have a base here and do what it is you love to do and be in New York? So exciting and sharing your enthusiasm with other people. That's why I would think it's probably not very hard for you to get seed money for a project because you're so upbeat. And I would think that people would just say, here, take it. (laughs) Well, let's hope. (laughs) Are you working on funding for this new project as well? We we will soon. We wanted to hold off until things have calmed down in the world a little more. We were right about to launch the campaign like a week or two ago, and it just seemed like everything was crumbling around us. And there were more projects and organizations that needed funding than a film who, who knows when we're going to be able to shoot it. So we're waiting until things calm down a little bit before we start actively going over after the money. I want to focus a little bit on Bull, the TV show. What has that experience been like? Because that's, uh, that's heavy duty stuff. Yeah, it was really cool. I I actually booked that without auditioning because I have a good relationship with the casting office. They're great. And it was actually maybe an embarrassing story. 
Go for they, it. They asked me on set if I had a driver's license. And I said, yes. And I thought it was just for some more paperwork. And they said, great, do you have it on you? And I said, no, it's in my dressing room. And they were like, okay, we'll send a PA to go get it. And I said, okay. So the PA comes, comes back with the driver's license and the director takes me out and he shows me the car and he says, okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna drive this car down the block and you're gonna park it right here and then you're gonna get out and you're gonna go up to Michael Weatherly. And I said, oh, you want me to drive the car? <laughs> I mean, I'm a New Yorker at this point. I don't drive. I have a license because the only reason I have a license is because I was on hold for a Volkswagen commercial and I needed a license to book the job. So I hustled. I learned how to drive. I got the license. I didn't book the commercial. (laughs) I hadn't driven in, you know, a decade. I don't know, a long time. So I get behind the wheel of a car and my heart is just racing and there's a PA right next to me. And I, I just truly didn't remember how to do it. I've been behind the wheel maybe five times in my life. And I, I said to the, the PA, so is, is this the pedal that makes it go? Or is it this one? And the PA just kind of looks at me. Oh my goodness. So we, we ended up just having the scene start with the car parked and me getting out of it. I was just going to say, there had to be a rewrite there, clearly. <laughs> oh, Sandy, it was embarrassing. I wish I'd known beforehand. I would have brushed up on my skill, you know? It didn't work against you. You know, they didn't throw you out of the car, for heaven's no, sake. No, thank goodness. <laughs> Is that a finite role being on Bull? It was, yeah. I was um, the suspect of a murder. And it was a, it's a special episode because it was New York Fashion Week. So I was playing a seamstress, which was really fun. And then uh, the Nick was the other bigger TV role that I did. Um, and that I'm on a couple episodes. It was interesting because that was my first TV project. And... I didn't know how much things change in the editing room and and things can get cut. So (laughs) I had a whole lovely little scene with Clive Owen where we're talking to each other and we're shaking hands and we're doing all these things. There's a funeral scene and there was a close-up on me as I'm crying at this funeral and all of it was cut. (laughs) What year was the Nick and what was it about? Uh, That was a while ago. That was 2014, I think. Uh Uh-huh. It was um, Steven Soderbergh's sort of first foray into television. It was about a hospital in the year 1900, right at the advent of electricity in hospitals. And that, and so that was your big break for television. It was, yeah. It was a period piece, which was very exciting. I love period pieces. They really went full out um, with the set, which was gorgeous. It was a studio in Brooklyn. And even the costumes, even the under things were period appropriate. You couldn't see them, but just so that you moved the right way, so that the lines of the clothing were right. We had all of the all of the undergarments, the shoes, even when you couldn't see the shoes under the long skirts, they were still period appropriate. It was a wow. really beautiful production. Well, he's an incredible heavyweight, Steven Soderbergh. And very efficient. He only does about two takes for every shot. It's crazy. Do you ever step back and look at where you've been, where you are, where you might be going? Yeah, I think about that all the time. If you don't have specific goals, I don't know how you would ever hope to achieve them. So I I like to think about where I want to be in three years because I think people often overestimate what they can get done in five years, but underestimate what they can get done in, say, one year. So I sort of go in the middle, take a three-year stance. But I think it's important to still be flexible within that and to allow what comes to come if you find something else that you're really passionate about, not to cut yourself off, but to pursue that too. But I think it's important to have goals. 
You know, Kate, as I've listened to this conversation with you, I I think to myself that you should be out there empowering other women and particularly young women. I mean, because the attitude is so positive, but you're also realistic. And I think that that just speaks volumes as I sit here and deify you. <laughs> That's extremely kind of you. I don't know what, like what form that would take, but it sounds great. I, I think my very favorite compliment I ever get from people is when they tell me that I inspire them. If we just have a conversation and they end the conversation saying, hey, you really inspired me. I'm going to go do that thing I've been needing to do. That's my favorite thing to hear. My well, that would be huge. And I also think that so often we just get so discouraged. And this is, a, as you well know, a very dog-eat-dog business. And as much as you a talent somebody might have or as much as your drive, a lot of it is out of your hands. Yeah. So you can't worry about the things that are out of your hands. You can only focus on what is in your hands. And part of that is having a good attitude. Oh, God, I should have met you when I was, you know, 50 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So if I sometimes ask this question of my guests, if I was your fairy godmother, what would you want from me? There are people I'd like to work with. Um, I think Dan Harmon is a genius. I'd love to work on one of his shows or Michael Shore, a Michael Shore show to collaborate with. Um, but really I, I feel like I would want to maybe give the fairy godmother to, to someone else. I feel like I'm going to just take things as they come and see what happens. My gosh, what a great attitude. It's all <laughs> kind of worked out nicely for you. Yeah. And continues to do so. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see where everything goes and where life takes me, but I'm, I'm excited to see. Well, I, think that if there's a way of you meeting aspiring new actors and actresses and and kind of sharing your life's philosophy, that that would just be so empowering for them. Your attitude is just so refreshing. Thanks, Sandy. Well, maybe I'll look into that. Maybe I'll, I'll reach out to Barnard or to some of the other acting groups I'm a part of and see if there's interest in that. That's a good idea. I think that makes perfect sense. Well, here's the story, Kate. Whatever new projects come your way, I'd love for you to share that with us. I would love to. Kate Cortell, you thank you so much for sharing your philosophy, your upbeatness, your, oh my, I guess Sandy's gushing here. But it's just, it's so refreshing and it's so real and honest. It's contagious in a good way. It was such a pleasure being on your show, Sandy. Thank you for having me. Totally my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.